Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. That's yeah. <laughs> They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, that's actually the ball, sir. I thought you'd mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good luck. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd throw punches. What you doing down here? You're showing me, man. <laughs> this fellow Ronaldo is a cod, says Eamon Dunphy in their introductory jingle. There were worse insults coming from the mouth of Dunphy last night. Labeling Louis Van Gaal as a spoofer and a bullshitter. You are welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. I don't want to leave. To, I don't want to give any time to that. I just thought I'd uh, throw it out there. But there's no hint of bullshit in Van Gaal's immediate reaction to Javier Hernandez's missed penalty. I haven't been able to tear my eyes off this vine all day today. Uh, it's it's stunning. I'm looking at it again here, Ken. Mm-hmm. You have the miss, right? Yeah. Okay, he fell over. Maybe that was a little bit unlucky, but but it was Louis Van Gaal turns to Ryan Giggs with the longest stare. It got the Van Hal's stare, wordless stare, lasts most of the length of the vine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Giggs is chewing away in his chewing gum, trying to keep a deadpan face. Because Giggs is well aware that these things are picked up all the time on TV. But he can't help just a little shrug of the head, a little... Yeah. Well, that wasn't great, was it? Yeah, that's... Uh, it looks to me, though, as though Van Hal's about to burst out laughing. Yeah, there's a little crease but, of the lips there, just right at the very end. But Giggs keeps the poker face throughout. Mm-hmm. Giggs is not going to laugh at all. Giggs actually doesn't think that's funny at all. Exactly. Giggs's reaction is more telling than Van Hal's, if anything. Yeah, it mm. kind of looked like two guys who don't really get along with each other. <laughs> to be honest, I was just looking at it going, yeah, well, they, they got no, I got nothing to say to you. And uh, I have nothing to say to you. <laughs> That's kind of what I took from it. Maybe I was projecting, you know, some other information that I have in my head yeah. about their possible relationship. And I'm, I'm going. Like, no, no. Well, Sounds just, interesting. No, I don't. I don't have any further information than Jill six pack on the street, Ken. Oh yeah. Um, but I'm. Uh, I'm merely. I'm merely extrapolating there. I'd imagine a lot of it is down to. The identity of the player who missed the penalty. If Rooney had slipped, fallen, missed penalty, I don't think they'd be giving each other a look that would be interpreted by us and many others as, whew, that's the end of his Manchester United career. Yeah. Whereas poor old Hernandez didn't help Hernandez's cause that moments later he was presented with an even easier opportunity, a ball rolling across the six-yard box, reasonably gently. There was a little bit of zip on it. I'm not sure how he managed to miss by six yards. He mm. scooped it up over the bar by a good, uh, certainly a good 10 feet anyway. It's weird, actually, because he used to be quite lethal, didn't he? I mean, well, that was his thing. That was he, his main thing. He used to be a little kind of live wire. Mm. And he was uh, sharp and he was able to stick away, certainly 
gently rolling balls across six yard box, you know, with with almost monotonous regularity. Uh, so he's obviously missed a big really, chance of the weekend as well. Um, nearly the yeah. only chance that Manchester United created in that game. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, now, if was... I was if I was an average to below average feature writer for uh, a newspaper a number of years ago, and I'd been asked to write an article about the impact of Javier Hernandez, the little P, the little P uh, in Manchester, I would probably have written something along the lines of, with a smile to light up every corner of the Stratford Head, or something like that, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm not seeing any of that in his uh, appearances thus far. He seems like an extraordinarily grumpy little little pea yeah, uh, this season. He's a sour little fellow He now. is. He's, he's a wasabi sort of uh, <laughs> uh, little... Uh, he's got a bit of an edge to him now. I don't, I don't know what went wrong, you know? I really can't say uh, what went wrong with that little guy. But, it, I mean, it seemed like Alex Ferguson was just able to... Uh, you know, get him in the right frame of mind and maybe Louis van Gaal doesn't work as hard. He kind of expects the players to be able to do that themselves. They're going to pay a lot of money, just turn up you know, with the right attitude and let's get this done. If you're an Everton fan, we've got a big focus on your club on today's podcast. The last properly run football club in England, according to Simon. Certainly in the Premier League. This is Simon Hicks' latest half-baked theory on Premier League. How's my, it run a successful my Premier that's League? half-baked. Yeah. Even by Simon's standards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I threw Arsenal at him and he wasn't accepting that. Mm. I was accepting that Arsenal are property. I don't even know what property run means. But. I don't know, but whatever it is, it's it's almost extinct. It's, it appears to be uh, an antiquated way to run your football club. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about them because they, yeah, I mean, they were involved in the League Cup last night and had a fairly chaotic five um, three win away to Barnsley, in which John Stones uh, didn't play very well at his old club. Um, but uh, Chelsea apparently, well, Roberto Martinez was talking about him. We'll t- we're going to talk about all this. In the report on sport. So, uh, Wayne Rooney, Owen, he's back. Uh, last night, I think we saw part two of Wayne Rooney's Manchester United career <laughs> uh, get off to a thrilling <laughs> a thrilling start. This is the second act. You wrote the people. last rights for his first act, the first act of his career on Monday's podcast, and now you're writing the introductory paragraph to his yes. second career. I it like was it. not the end. It was not even the beginning of the end, but perhaps it was the end of the beginning. <laughs> and now Rooney, uh, with these goals away to Brugge, has uh, he put Brugge in their in their box uh, fairly firmly with a series of um, deft little finishes, you know, uh, uh, intricate interplay from Manchester United, uh, making Brugge look like training cones, and then Rooney slotting the ball away, and then generously giving uh, the penalty to Hernandez just to, so he could uh, get off the mark, and uh, that turned out to be. Not the best idea, but you know, I mean, that's how that's how generous Wayne Rooney is. I really would have liked from the master's table. I, I really would have liked for him to have gone for that fourth goal himself, if only because I love seeing the phrase four goal salvo" in yeah. match reports. But uh, well, four, four goals in the Champions League, albeit a qualifier, is not something a lot of players have done. I'm amazed he didn't take the penalty himself. I mean, especially given that you know he's been <laughs> slagged off so much. I mean, he'd, he'd then be able to turn around and go. Well, it appears I've got four goals in four games, maybe five games. Is it five games? Yeah, two five. qualifiers, three, three league games. games yeah. Yeah. Four and five, that's not bad. Mm. That's, those are pretty good stats. It sounds like you guys were watching the game on uh, on RT last night. Yeah. I was watching it on, uh, on BT. Well, you just, just, can't, you just, just can't get enough of Michael Owen. Well, no, just, well, that I suppose my decision making process may have been slightly flawed there. But I, I, I was anxious 
first of all to see if I had BT Sport Europe. Yeah. And I had, so that's good. It automatically appears. Yeah, there it was. So that was that was good. That was a relief. Um, also to see how uh, Gary Lineker did handling ads, uh, which is basically, ew, that was the graveyard for every BBC presenter who moved over to ITV for more money. Oh, yeah. And it turns out they couldn't say, we'll be back after this short break and welcome back. Mm. Um, he seemed to be pretty, pretty hard to do that. But uh, they interviewed uh, Wade Rooney after the game. And uh, uh, Wayne was saying, oh, you know, I don't read the newspapers. Uh, the pressure didn't get to me. And then Rio Ferdinand was uh, in studio afterwards. And he said, I'll tell you one thing about Wayne Rudy. He knows er- the name of every reporter. He's read every word. <laughs> I have to say, that was, it was pretty good, you know. Uh, that's how Wayne Rudy got to the top, by being, you know, a miserable little bastard at times. Well, look, Wayne Rooney, that's interesting, knowing the name of the reporters, not just generally thinking right. I mean, Rooney does pay attention to stuff. I mean, he texted into Sky Sports News one time. Didn't he? He, he was, yeah, he was He was sitting there at home watching Sky Sports News, got angry about some stuff they were saying about him and uh, texted in saying they were idiots or something or this is all stupid. Um, so he does, um, yeah, he does He does keep up, I suppose, with what's said. Um, he was saying, was never worried. Uh, still isn't, of course. Uh, United have to be in the Champions League. I'm delighted to get the goals. Uh, but if the goals don't go in, I still bring a lot to my teammates. To be honest, if I didn't have a strong character, then maybe it would have affected me. But I know my quality. I know what I give to the te- team. Thankfully, I had chances tonight and I took them. I wasn't worried if it was going on for three, four, five games more. Then maybe so. But it's early days and I know when the chances. I knew when the chances came I would take them. As a striker, obviously, you want to score. Uh, everyone goes back to last season. Towards the end, I didn't score. People make a big thing of it. I understand. I've understood since a young age because of my name, because of who I am. It will get publicised a lot more. That's a part of my job. I have to accept that. So that's uh, Rooney uh, uh, striking back a little bit, I think. Yeah. And uh, musician scoring a hat trick. That's There's only uh, one way to answer the critics' game. Yeah. Hat tricks in every game. Hat tricks in every game. Well, he'll, he'll shut a lot of people up. <laughs> uh, he will shut a lot of people up. So. That's uh, and Van Hal praising Rooney as well. So um, a little uptick for for Rooney after a poor starts the season. Roberto Martinez, Everton last night. Oh, just just to mention oh, that that leaves the Champions League draw looking like well, there aren't the the only English club in the top eight in the first pot is Chelsea. Um, you may be listening to this after the Champions League draw has been made, in which case this information is still relevant. Yeah, the raw, the draw is on later on this afternoon. So sure. Um, there's no, I mean, it doesn't really matter. You know, we could be talking after the draw and saying, oh, you know. Manchester United are going to play one very good team, a uh, couple and one all right team and one team that are lucky enough to be in the Champions League. There you go, draw made. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't know how, really how it's, how it's going to go. I mean. Owen McDevitt reveals that UEFA do fix the Champions League draw. <laughs> um, Who's well your they, source on the inside, Owen? Well, they kind of fix it. Makes... I mean, you know, there's, uh, you know, they, they've, they seed it. It's sort of like fixing it, isn't it? And then they keep the. Um, teams That's an outrageous of, claim, Ken. Of the same nationality apart. Um, As he did with the Euro. Tw- uh, no, it was the World Cup draw. That's obviously FIFA. I'm not sure how it has affected they... now with Sevilla also being in there because Sevilla are um, the fifth Spanish team. No, there, there hasn't been five teams from one country before. Uh, but they got in obviously because they won the Europa League and Valencia came through their qualifiers. So five Spanish teams and only two Italians. 
because Lazio got knocked out by Bayer Leverkusen in the uh, playoffs. We're going to talk a bit about them also with, with Raphael Honigstein in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Martinez there. On, so Everton won 5-3 after extra time. Um, bit of a sloppy defensive performance, you could say, but plenty of goals. Lukaku playing well this season. Afterwards, though, Martinez mainly talking about John Stones. Uh, have you rejected his transfer request that he put in? We have not rejected it yet. Because today was a match day and that was our priority. But we will reject it in the morning and get on with our business. So I think maybe it's been rejected by now. Uh, uh, and people are saying, well, you know, he's asked to go. Like, what are you going to do? You know, everybody thinks player ass puts in transfer request, loves the money, big club knocking in the door, can't hold on to him. No point keeping an unhappy player after all. Um, Martinez says, I'm not surprised by the transfer request because he's a young man. He's under massive pressure from people and outside influences. What we need to do is give more value to contracts. We need to bring more seriousness to being part of a football club and making sure that contracts are important. Um, uh, Praise Stones' actual performance, which... uh, That sounds like a pretty good stance by Martinez. Yeah. Um, I mean, he says, uh, the situation with John... Is very clear. We care about him. We want to protect him and give him everything we can to allow him to enjoy his football during this tough period. We've got great ambition for John, and it's clearly got to the point now where in football, as in life, money can't buy everything. That's going to be a very strong statement at Everton. We want to build a winning team, and we want to keep our best performances. John, uh, performers, rather, John, is a big part of our future. So they're very fighting words, really, considering that John Stones might be gone by you know Monday or Tuesday. I mean, everyone looking at it from the outside would thought, well, obviously Everton are going to sell. He's put in transfer requests. It's just the way it is these days. But maybe Everton are going to uh, actually kick back at this a little bit. Do you have to fax, as a Premier League club, do you have to fax your rejection? Don't they still fax in the offers? I don't know if they still are faxing. I, know, I was reading a couple of reports this morning on various transfers and I did see the word fax used. Really? It's the only industry in the world where the... Facsimile is still uh, fairly legitimate and indeed often used means of communication. That's pretty weird. All right. I don't know. I mean, I would imagine someone as a scanner at this stage at, at Everton or certainly at Chelsea. It sounds like the internet isn't trusted greatly. At, the top <laughs> at of the Everton or certainly at Chelsea. <laughs> Chelsea, you would imagine. Sorry, what there. level of turnover do you think a club says, right, well, we can get rid of the, the facts now? Chelsea are just... Chelsea probably have a We're fax in the top ten well. richest clubs in the world. Once you get into that top ten, really, this fax machine is... Has got to go. Out of date. Yeah. Um, I mean, I see Tony Barrett writing in the Times saying that... Uh, um, for the sake of competitive football, Everton must not sell John Stones to Chelsea. His tack essentially is a slightly different one. It's, it's essentially saying that for, it's for the good of the league. You know? I mean, what's the point? You know, you, you get a situation where all of the best uh, players are concentrated at the top couple of clubs. Then you've got, you know, Spain. Um, Isn't that always the case, though? No, not really. I mean, it's more so now than ever before, but definitely not... Uh, it certainly wasn't the case. I mean, when Derby County were able to win the, the league, you know, twice. Um, but they were a, one of the top clubs, and I'm imagining Derby County they, were well, buying got, some they top players up. from other clubs. They were. They were buying. They were buying top players, but not. They weren't buying. They weren't like Chelsea are. I mean, they they got promoted, and then Brian Clough is like calling around to people's houses and, and signing up. Mm. What was it, Dave McKay, and you know these kind of things? Well, the idea would be that they were signing players who at least would then play in their team, as opposed to the Fabian Delph. We'll see you once a month there, Fab. Yeah, I mean, Delph, I can I can understand. You know, look, if 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 Man City wanted to play me, wanted to buy me, and I wasn't going to play any first team football, I'd be like, okay. I mean, Delph, yeah, 
you know. You just do it for the money. Yeah, I would. <laughs> so I mean, Dal- sorry if you, if if only you could have seen the dead-eyed uh, way that Ken just said that. Yeah, well, that, I mean, definitely I'd do it. You wouldn't rather play regular football, which might be more likely to get you into your beloved English national team. If you're Fabian Delph, still in this analogy, I I playing you know, for a I, top I'd, club. I'd say to myself, little. look, you can't have everything. You know, you can't you can't have everything. And uh, and if they if they want to re- make you a really rich man, I suppose. Maybe it isn't what you dreamed of as a kid, but it's still, still a beautiful dream in a way. Can't believe the romance has been drummed out of you again, um, along with the fax machine from English football. So, so we'll talk more with with James Corbett about Everton, what's going on, why. See, the thing about it is that when you add in the fact that there's all these protests at Everton at the moment against the board, imagine you're the board seeking to sanction the sale of, you know, best young defender at the club. Best defender at the club, I suppose, if if he's worth forty million, um, uh, and then you've then, but then you've got to think about what's maybe happening, what's maybe going to happen. Are you going to be like uh, Kevin Keegan that time, standing on the steps, <laughs> trying to explain to everyone why you've sold Andy Cool uh, to uh, to Manchester United? I'd explain to twenty five supporters outside on the ground. I don't think there really were that many supporters. Once it gets to a certain number of supporters and they are that angry and, I mean, 25 is enough, I think. Would have been enough to easily rip Kevin Keegan limb from limb, you know, (laughs) if things had gone that way. He would have been like a little colobus monkey being torn to shreds uh, by uh, angry chimpanzees. Mm. You know what I mean? It wouldn't have... Oh, you don't know how much we know what you mean, Ken. Yeah. We've all seen the the footage. Um, (laughs) Again. Bit of a sweeping generalization there, but so what else is going on? There's transfers. I mean, Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg have have given up the ghost apparently in Kevin De Bruyne. They've said, okay, okay, 74, 75 million euros, maybe with a bit of add-ons, is acceptable. We will sell you this player. So he becomes one of the most expensive players in the history of the Premier League. Um, a record signing for Manchester City, I think. We're talking about 54 million. Pounds. It sounds like more in euros because the exchange rate at the moment is quite pound is strong against the euro at the moment, um, and it's a lot of money compared to what Chelsea sold him for, which was eighteen million a couple two years ago. So um, he's tripled his value. Yes, o- almost exactly. Well, exactly actually. Uh, so so Jose Mourinho maybe is mm, this is a bit of a, and I, I do think it's a bit strange because Kevin De Bruyne is such a typical Jose Mourinho player. He has got all of the things that Jose Mourinho usually wants in a player. He's quite big. He's very fast. He can run all day. He's like, imagine if James McLean, he's a, sim, he's a similar athletic specimen to James McLean, with, more, with, I think, a bit more pace, very strong, powerful, uh, two-footed. James McLean maybe a little bit favors the left side. Um, we shouldn't compare him anymore to James McLean. <laughs> uh, but... But uh, you know he can whack the ball really hard with either with either foot. He can take good free kicks. He can uh, score goals. What's not to like? Jose Mourinho loves these types of players. He's not really necessarily the best. Um, you know he's not like Iniesta or something in terms of what he's going to do with the ball. The unexpected little directions he might suddenly spin and take the ball off. You know, I mean, he's a decently decent technical player. He, I wouldn't put him on the level of, say, Arjen Robin, you know, as a dribbler, although he plays a similar type of position and can score goals in the same kind of way. Um, but Mourinho usually likes this, this kind of blend of power and skill. Slightly, you know, uh, 
slightly. Uh, what is the word that I'm looking for? Teetering towards. Be- be- what is that word? Well, I'm not leaning. Sure. Leaning towards, towards oh. power. Slightly leaning towards the power side of the scale. So why would you get Happy rid of help, him? Ken. Well, because Thank he d- refused to accept anything other than a regular slot in the first team, according to Jose. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, maybe he should have been in the first team. You know, they were buying, they, they went and bought guys like Salah afterwards, you know. I mean, he okay, he didn't get the first team. He didn't, and then Quadrado, Quadrado's going back to Italy on loan now. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, William's the guy who, who Mourinho favours in that kind of position. Maybe he just has a, has a good personal relationship with William. You know, maybe De Bruyne, the man of the north, and Jose, the man of the southwest, just couldn't relate in the same way as Jose could to William, his fellow Lusophone. We'll talk to Raphael Honigstein about all that in a little bit. Um, but Jose Mourinho is, is, is getting busy now, it seems, because uh, he's, not, he's, not, he's not the kind of man to sit around and wait to be, you know, to have Man City wipe the floor with him. Um, he's going to fax off offers left, right, and centre. He's, fa- he's, he's busy at that fax machine, firing off offers, and in this case, not only to Everton but also to Juventus. Um, and the player that Chelsea want from Juventus is, I suppose, obviously, really because he's another prototypical Jose Mourinho player, is Paul Pogba. And this is something which is only kind of flaring up in the last couple of days. This interest in Paul Pogba coming from Chelsea. Um, but they're talking about a £70 million fee for him, which would obviously be a new record transfer for England, breaking the Angel Di Maria one from last year um, by a solid £10 million. Um, I mean, this is this is an interesting one. I mean, I've no doubt that Jose Mourinho would love to have Paul Pogba. He is exactly the kind of player who Mourinho likes. He, again, he's got all those uh, physical qualities that we were talking about with De Bruyne. And he's, he's the kind of player who can... He, he will fit perfectly into Mourinho's triangle midfield as like one of the two kind of guys ahead of the Nemanja Matic, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, I mean, if you're talking about Cesc Fabregas, maybe looking a little weedy um, these days. Uh, and, and that thing where... I mean, did you, you, <laughs> you know you, you were talking about how David Silva spun him so easily. Oh, yeah, yeah. It happened to him again. Uh, it happened to him again in Chelsea's last game. Who were they playing? They were playing West Brom. And I can't remember the player who did it to him, but it was it was this. I was like, "Oh, not again!" <laughs> I mean, all the other players noticed that. You know, it's like, "Oh, Jesus!" Uh, he's 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 just following a guy out. Who the guy literally runs around in the circle. Fabregas like, "Oh no, I've lost him." This guy. <laughs> so, Pogba and Matic are two you know seriously intimidating midfielders. You can afford to you can afford to carry a Fabregas there for his uh, for his nice touches. Um, the thing about this, though, is that Juventus have already sold Arturo Vidal to Bayern Munich this summer. So if they now sell Pogba as well, it's suddenly their, their entire midfield is just gone. I mean, they got the Champions League final last season largely as a result of this midfield, mm. and it would just be gone. So I don't know, unless they've got something lined up, maybe that's a stumbling block to that. I also see headlines today uh, saying that Barcelona are about to offer a gigantic contract to, well, maybe on, maybe you can fill in the blank, which, uh, which one of their exciting attacking stars? It's not Neymar, because he's going to Manchester United. <laughs> so. No, it actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine actually was saying this is, this is like, I mean, Ed Woodward, you know? He, he was like, Ed Woodward is like a guy who has, is on a dating website, not Ashley Madison. Right, he wouldn't be on Ashley Madison because if he wa- if he was, he wouldn't meet anyone 
apparently. Did you see this thing there the other night? What, what's the latest? Oh, was it really interesting? Um, Ashley Madison, right? You know the way they had all these like user profiles or whatever. Mm. There was like supposedly 31 million men and five and a half million women out of the 36 million or whatever. Um, <laughs> basically, 10,000 of those women never used the site. It was like just. There was like millions of men. <laughs> there was like twenty million, twenty million active profiles of belonging to men, and then like ten thousand, ten thousand women. You know what I mean? It was Sign, like, signing up to the website was enough of a rush for yeah. The, the, the itch had been scratched. It was in fact the entire rush, and you know the, the little spam messages that you would get from the yeah, sort yeah. of automated. God, bot. so bad. <laughs> so, such a bad person. Oh god. It's kind of hard. Almost you, you kind of almost say Ashley Madison were. You know, fifty-three take... and a half thousand men are awaiting your response. <laughs> <laughs> they were sort of taking advantage of the, you know, the inexhaustible well of male vanity and and self-delusion. You know, like that. That do you remember that Tory guy a few couple of years ago, Brooks Newmark, I think it was. No. Like someone got in touch with them on Twitter and was like, you know, Tory P or girl or something. And, and basically, this Tory Pierre Gold Twitter account kept like favoriting his tweet, like his boring tweets. So he'd be like, "Oh, going to be appearing at an event in you know wherever," and she'd like favorite it, and then be like, "Oh, really looking forward to the event," you know. And she had this like pretty photograph, and he was like, "Wow," you know. And uh, so she kept sort of favoriting and power and truly is the greatest effort easy <laughs> And then, and then sort of, you know, they ended up sending the direct messages to each other, and oh, Brooks Newmark. Uh, was, you know, just pouring his heart out over the direct, pouring his heart out in photographs and everything. And then it turned out, obviously, it wasn't real. It was like someone who was trying to stitch him up. Oh. But, you know, it never occurred to him that might actually be the case. He just assumed <laughs> he just assumed this sort of 25-year-old Tory PR girl uh, was, you know, fascinated. Anyway, sorry, we've got sidetracked. Yeah, no, I don't know where... where Ed Woodward, is. anyway, yeah. has managed to arrange a date. Uh, and he's going to go and have coffee with someone that he's met on the internet. Non-committal. So, so he, he, you know, he, 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 uh, he's typing away anyway on, his, on the website. He's like, and then he's like, he, he's at work, so he's going to look around a bit nervous, so he shuts down the website. But what does he do then? He goes and meets up for the coffee. No, no, he, he picks up the phone. Oh, immediately. And he calls the Manchester Evening News, and he... And he takes out an engagement notice. <laughs> <laughs> he takes out an engagement notice. And then he, then he goes uh, the next day to meet for coffee, but it turns out no one's actually there. She's been scared off, you see. It's like... Uh, He's come on a little too strong. It's just, you know, it was just, it was just all a little premature, uh, the whole thing. But look, you know, maybe something will happen there on... We could be jumping to the conclusions. It could be that Neymar will turn down Barcelona's mega-improved uh, contract offer and the chance to play another season with Luis Suarez and Lionel Messi um, in favour of going to Manchester United. And in fairness, I can see all the same uh, reasons, why, you know, all the same reasons that, that counted in Fabian Delft's decision why he would do that. Give me a quick hit of Kevin Nolan news again before we wrap up the report on the sport. Uh, just that uh, Kevin Nolan... What's eating Kevin Nolan today? Uh has been uh, mutually consented by West Ham. Uh, is that a is that a verb now to mutually consent them? It's kind of, well, I, you usually think that. I mean, well, Nolan obviously was a, is a big favourite of uh, of Sam Allardyce. Uh, he's a guy who um, he played through Allardyce at Bolton and Newcastle and at West Ham, so he was following him around. Uh, obviously, Allardyce no longer there, and maybe Slavin Bilic doesn't have quite the same. Um, 
uh, regard for Kevin Nolan. He did play him for the first half of the match against, Nol- uh, against Nolan, against Bournemouth, uh, but then took him off at halftime. And it turned out that was the last... Uh, that was the last uh, perform- uh, display for Kevin Nolan for West Ham. So I don't know if, where he's going to go or if, he'll, if he can uh, hopefully get a new club. Um, we did have the... There was one other thing on, which is the Balotelli thing. I don't want to go too much into his his behaviour clause. How does it work for Kevin Nolan now, though, if he's without a club, if he's a free agent? Does he need to own his own fax machine? Do you need to have a fax machine? Or else, I presume your agent The agent have must have one. He must have one. The it's agent must have important. one, so... Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he'll he'll just wait it's until. Kind of s- different with Kevin Nolan. He's just waiting beside Sam Allardyce's fax machine. <laughs> will we wait until Sam gets the club? Yeah, yeah Sam, that's where he's going. Sam has been sitting there licking his chops <laughs> and saying, I, "I'm just waiting for the first, you know, manager, the first little bird with a broken wing manager to be f- flapping around uh, at the at the top of the bookies next to go charts, and I'm just going to loom over that guy, provided it's the kind of club I, I think I can take for it. So maybe Kevin Nolan will wait." Uh, and uh, and join up with Sam over time. The one other thing I wanted to mention Balotelli, on the trip, yeah. he he obviously he's gone back to AC Milan now, and and there was this news about his his behaviour clause, which I thought there was something like that in his previous one, which just sort of seems so. You know, I mean, come on, is the behaviour clause going to make any difference? I suppose it protects the club financially. Um, it just it seems to me though a bad way to to start things off. It's a bad footing on which to get things going. You know what I mean? It doesn't really suggests that you've got a lot of belief or trust in the guy. Uh, he did ha- He did say to Gazetta dello Sport, essentially, uh, they were asking him why he was such a failure at Liverpool. He says, I accept my faults, but also Brendan Rodgers' formation didn't suit my characteristics. At the start, I missed up a lot of easy chances. Then I had fewer opportunities to score, a bit of bad luck injuries. It was a mess. However, I never protested. I accepted the choice of the manager, and I always behaved like a professional. Which is, I think, uh, more or less true. I, I mean, his season at Liverpool was free I think of acrimony as far as I can as far as I can tell there wasn't too many uh, examples of you know bust ups or you know fights and you know wrestling Brendan Rodgers as he did Roberto Mancini but you know there was just more of this sort of disappointment and sort of this, this is a disaster um, uh, I would say in defense of Brendan Rodgers that I'm not quite sure what formation would suit Balotelli's characteristics at this point given those characteristics are essentially walking around offside and then missing whatever chances come to him. So I'm, I'm, I don't know what position, what formation. Four three four maybe would be the ideal formation for a player with those characteristics. Uh, but otherwise, I, I can't really see. I think it's time to fade out the report on sport backing track. Hairdryer is, is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a furious blast of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, no, he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. It is time now to focus more on the last property run football club in England, Everton. Uh, who did beat Barnsley, as Ken mentioned last night, after looking a little bit ragged. John Stones particularly didn't play well, but we've heard Roberto Martinez's quotes afterwards. He's keeping him. He's not going to sell the player. He's making this a point of principle, to paraphrase. James Corbett regularly covers the club and joins us now. James, do you think Martinez, it's a pretty ballsy statement from him, do you think he's genuinely convinced the player will stay now? I think the thing about Roberto Martinez is that he talks a lot, um, and he sometimes talks in terms of platitudes, and you don't really know what to believe. I think what we saw last night, he was very impressive, very sincere and very resolute. Um, and I don't think it was just a challenge to Chelsea uh, when he said that he was going to stay. It was a challenge to his own board 
um, to do everything in their power to keep hold of him and to resist Chelsea's advances. He's into dangerous territory if he's if he's challenging his board uh, because these things usually end up with the player going to the club that's offering the money, especially when you've put in a transfer request like Stones has. In, in, in that case, it, has Martinez risked uh, a public rupture uh, with his employers? I think if he has, he'll come out on top because the supporters are more likely to back Roberto Martinez in any in any standoff than than the Everton board. Uh, it's a club that has a tradition, unfortunately, over the last twenty years of of, of, of of selling its best players on a regular basis. You know, from Andrew Kinchelskis and Duncan Ferguson, his prime to Wayne Rooney and Julian Lescott, Marouane Fellaini. And I think there's 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 a real mood for change amongst the Everton supporters at the moment. So if they're going to pick a fight with their manager, they'll have to do it carefully. But I I I I don't think it'll come down to that. Um, I, I I mean I, I I do believe that they will support him as they have supported their managers in the past. There are a few questions then arising from that. The, maybe the most basic question is: if someone is going to offer you forty million pounds for John Stones. Why not sell him? I mean, he's not worth, you know, certainly not worth anything more than that. I can't understand really Everton's resistance. The, the price that they're getting is, is enormous. I mean, it's not far off what Manchester City are paying for, you know, Kevin De Bruyne rated the best, you know, young player in the Bundesliga. I mean, why not just take the 40 million and buy Thiago Silva or something like that? Well, I mean... Kevin De Bruyne was, 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 was a Chelsea reserve a year ago, so things can change very quickly. I think if you look at precedents um, for this sort of player, you've got to go back to Rio Ferdinand. And he cost Manchester United £30 million from uh, Leeds United that was nearing bankruptcy, and that was, what, 12 or 13 years ago? So if you look at transfer inflation since then, you know, if that's the precedent, you know, why aren't Everton asking for... But Rio Ferdinand, ninety million pounds. In all fairness, James, Rio Ferdinand was already one of the best central defenders in the league, if not the best. Had been one of the best central defenders at the World Cup at the time when Manchester United paid that money for him. It wasn't as that he wasn't in the same situation John Stones. It's maybe more comparable to the situation Ferdinand was, or the place he was at in his career when he left West Ham for Leeds. No, I disagree. Ferdinand was what eighteen or nineteen when he left. Um... He left West Ham for Leeds, and even then, he 20, was, I think you know, he was. I think he was twenty-one or twenty-two. Actually, wasn't isn't Ferdinand? I think is nineteen seventy-eight, and he went to Leeds in in two thousand. So that would that would be twenty-one or twenty-two. Okay, all right, fair enough. But I mean, even then, he cost what the best part of twenty million quid. Uh, you know, if that's the present, and I, I I think of all the young English defenders that we've seen emerge over the last quarter of a century. Stones is up there with Rio Ferdinand and John Terry as, as 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 being among the best of them. So if Chelsea are talking about buying a player for thirteen or fourteen years, then that that's what they're going to have to pay for him. And secondly, um, you know you have the European Championships next year, and nothing like a big tournament inflates a player's transfer um, fee. So Chelsea know that all right, it's a huge amount of money. But in terms of the ridiculous fees that footballers command these days, it's not really. If, he, if he's if he's going to be a stalwart of a of a Chelsea team for the next decade or more, you, I mean, watch Stones uh, more than I do. 
James, definitely. But I mean, I'm amazed when, when you when you compare him to the, the types of players that you've just mentioned. These are the best players, uh, you know, the best English defenders in the in the Premier League for the last 10, 15 uh, years. John Stones has was part last season of an Everton defence that was poor. I mean, throughout the season, they conceded 50 goals in the league. Um, you know, Stones was injured for a lot of last season, and if you look at the games that he played against the games that he didn't play, uh, Everton's defence was significantly better. And their upturn in form during the spring was when Stones came back from, from injury. Um, so you, what, I'm, what I'm getting at here, really, is you, you're, you're totally comfortable comparing him to players like that. You really think that he, at, he's got that kind that of class? Age, at that age, no question. He has got the reading of the game. He can play football, which very few center, you know, English central defenders can do. He has the pace and the composure um, to go on and, um, you know, certainly emulate Ferdinand and Terry. Yeah, no question. He's 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 the real deal, and I've seen that perhaps, you know, in, in all my years of watching Everton, um, I've. I've I think there's only Wayne Rooney that you that you could compare him to. I think in terms of pure potential, he's he's probably head and shoulders more so than more so than Ross even Barkley. You, you think so? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's your problem with Ross Barkley? <laughs> I don't think Ross Barkley has the same footballing brain. Although he's 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 come flying out the blocks this season, but uh, Barkley. This is really a make-or-break season for Barkley, um, and he's he's got to sort of look up and become the great player that he's 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 threatened to be at times. But um, Barkley Barkley sometimes fizzles out, um, whereas John Stones I think is going to give you that level of performance week in week out. What do you think has convinced Everton, uh, Martinez and the club that they can go against? Uh, the prevailing idea now, really, James, in world football is that if a player really wants a move and if a big club wants to pay a lot of money for him, he's going to go. And he's handed in a transfer request. Which and is, which and he's is... handed in a transfer request. Uh, I, I, I like Martinez. Uh, I, li- I like the stance he's trying to make here and there's something almost romantic or, or noble about it, maybe. But in practical terms, what what is it that is convincing Everton that they actually can, not only can keep this player, but can get another whatever amount of seasons out of him uh, as an enthusiastic Everton player, given that he's got a state of desire to leave? I rather suspect, I mean, I, 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 I think Stones will leave Everton probably in the next 18 months. I rather suspect that, um, you know, the... The ploy or the tactic, if you like, is 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 to keep hold of him for another season when his when his value will will, will hopefully go up um, at the European Championships. How can they keep him to stay? Well, they can they can wave the piece of paper that he signed last year that gave him a huge pay rise and committed him to the club for five more years. You know, I was I was I was I was tweeting about this last uh, last night. Alex Young, Bob Latchford, Neville Southall, three of the greatest players in Everton's last 50 years, they all asked for transfers and they were denied by the board. And I know we live in a different era now, but you know why, why, why can't a club of Everton's size keep on to their, you know, keep hold of their best young player who has four years of his contract left? There, 
um, was more, I think at halftime of the game last night when, you know, things were going well for Everton, there was more kind of uh, disaffection, let's say, with uh, Bill Canwright and the board. Uh, and obviously the plane incident attracted a lot of attention at Southampton uh, a little a few days back. Um, what exactly is going on there, James? I mean, why is why do you think it is that now we're suddenly seeing these um, protests against Bill Kenwright, who, after all, has been there a very long time? I mean, for fifteen or sixteen years, I think. Um, why is it that uh, the uh, the crowd now seems to be to be rising against him? Well, it's been bubbling under the surface for at least a decade. I think you can look back to when Wayne Rooney left, when there was an extraordinary boardroom fallout between. Bill Kenwright and his partner, Paul Gregg. Um, the fact of the matter is that Kenwright and his board have never put a, a, a penny into the club at a time when the club's value has probably quadrupled um, during his ownership. Um, and I think there's, there's, there's very palpable frustration. Um, I think there's a lack of a big idea of what Everton should be. And, you know, there's some really great people working at Everton. I mean, I don't know Ken Wright at all, um, but there's some very good people in the club's administration. And I think part of the problem might just be poor communication um, as to what Everton stands for in the 21st century. All right, James. I think, yeah, sorry, go on, yeah. I, I mean, I think, I, think if, uh, I think if the board came out and said, look, this is the strategy, you know, we are one of the aristocrats of English football, we're not Manchester City, we're not Chelsea, but we develop good young players, we're redeveloping our ground, we are the People's Club of Merseyside, you know, we have extraordinarily good community links, this is our identity. I think most people would accept that, but there's just nothing, there's, a, there's just a bit of a drift at the moment, and people are, increasing numbers of people are, are, are becoming disaffected. You could have said it was a, a significant minority in the past, um, but it, it's, it's, it's becoming even more significant now. Brilliant stuff. James Corbett, thanks so much. No problem. You clearly don't rate John Stones quite as highly as James does. Well, maybe not. I mean, I just think 40 million is a hard one to, it's a hard one to tell, really, because on the one hand, you think 40 million for John Stones is a huge price. I mean, consider that Sterling, for instance, uh, went for only a little bit more than that. Uh, but then you're kind of thinking, well, I mean, if this is what players are going to cost now, if this is what these big clubs are going to pay for players, maybe forty million isn't enough. Maybe forty million is cheap. That's the price. Maybe Everton are getting done if they sell him for that. You know, I'm not. I'm not really well, sure. Particularly if he was to go this season. If he's to uh, be a Rio Ferdinand. Yeah, if he's play unbelievably play. well and be in the England team for the Euros and play amazingly well there. Now, what if he's not in the England team? What if that value isn't added on? There are it's a it's a slightly risky strategy from Everton if they are just going to let him go next year. Albeit, I think it's, it's no harm. Some of these clubs below the top tier, especially Everton and these kind of well-established clubs who've been in the league for so long, standing up to the buddies, again, the big boys, the financial dopers. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I, I mean, I, I think it would be better for Stones to stay at Everton for another year or two because what's his rush? You know what I mean? It's it's obvious if he's such a good player, he's going to get there. Uh, I mean, I suppose you can always say, well, what if you get injured? I mean, there is always that. But I think, generally speaking, uh, he's playing for Everton. It's a good place for him to continue to improve. If he goes to Chelsea, maybe he's not going to be in the team. Maybe he will. If he goes to England, if he goes to Euro 2016 with England and plays in the centre, there's that glorious summer of English football. They win the European Championships. 
with stones and Jones at the back. Football would have come home. Stones, Jones, and ice cream cones. <laughs> and scones. Speaking of the big boy clubs, Kevin De Bruyne is going to Manchester City for 74 million euro, which seems like uh, an astronomical fee, really. The man who's well-placed to watch this, he's been watching him at Wolfsburg, is Raphael Hodgson. Raphael, is he worth that kind of money? Very hard to answer that. Um, in an ordinary market, I think the club would have expected to maybe pay half of that, and that would probably be seen as an adequate uh, price tag for, for a player of his age and his talent. Uh, with Manchester City, of course, there's always kind of an uh, extra element of, of price that can be achieved, I think, for the selling club. And also Wolfsburg was a unique case because of their backing by Volkswagen. They had to be confronted with an offer that was slightly crazy for them to justify selling him because they don't actually need the money as such. Uh, I think a different club would have probably been happy to take, let's say, 50 million and City would have paid 50, 50 million. But because it was Wolfsburg, because of a City, the sum was, was certainly inflated. But, you know, he is the player of the year in Germany 2015. He's a goal machine when it comes to certainly making assists. He's uh, got great pace, great engine, work rate is amazing. And all he's got to do is to prove that he can do it at a big club, not just at Wolfsburg. I was trying to find a turnover figure for Wolfsburg. It was a surprisingly difficult number to find. Uh, and in the end, I was unsuccessful. Uh, do, you any, do, you, do you have any idea? Good journalism, guy. <laughs> uh, I thought maybe, maybe Raphael would know. Do you have any idea what it is? Because it strikes me that 74 million euros must be, uh, must be at least half of their annual turnover. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I mean, they, they will pick up extra money, of course, now. Um, they were played in the Europa League, went quite deep last year. Uh, the Champions League will bring money this year. Their entire wages would be around about 100 million euros, give or take. So, yes, it does. That fee kind of pays for a year of, uh, of Wolfsburg playing. Um, but at the same time, you know, Volkswagen and, and the people there, they don't want to go around Europe and getting beaten and getting kicked out in the group stage in, in only their second season. So I think that the people who, who made those decisions, um, they were wavering all the time because they were caught between you know, accepting what is a fantastic price, but at the same time thinking, you know, what we're going to do with this money so late in the window. And I think that's where Wolfsburg might become a little bit unstuck. We have a situation now where a player is returning to the Premier League two years after uh, Jose Mourinho and Chelsea waived him on his way. And I think it's about three times, it's, it's maybe slightly over three times the fee uh, that Chelsea sold him for, that Manchester City are now buying him for. Um, how do you, I mean, do you think that Chelsea have made a mistake there? Um, ought they have held on to De Bruyne? Would he have developed in the same way if they had? Uh, and what are the chances of him embarrassing Jose Mourinho? Well, I think they've already been embarrassed by the price. I mean, um, you know, getting three times, as you said, three times as much for the player in the space of two years suggests that they perhaps were a little bit hasty in, in getting rid of him, certainly for that. For that fee, but at the same time, you know, he didn't really have a future on the Mourinho. He wasn't the top type of player that Mourinho uh, liked to to work with. Um, he didn't enjoy being a bit part player. I think for his development, it was absolutely vital that he had now two firm seasons as an automatic starter in in one of the best leagues in in Europe, in playing internationally as well. And who knows if he'd been the same player, you know, being being in and out of the Chelsea team for the last two years. So it's it's all very hypothetical. I think Mourinho um, and his statements can be seen as a preemptive strike because I think he, he knows the story is coming 
And if De Bruyne does really well, it, it will reflect quite badly on him. Um, at the same time, I think it's understandable why Chelsea said, you know, this is a player who doesn't really get on with the, with the coach and he wants to go, let's, uh, let's get rid of him. Uh, yeah, I mean, because what Mourinho said about him was, was sort of implying that, he, he, uh, that his mentality was poor, that, he, that his, his attitude was bad, um, which is not really a great thing to, to suggest about a player, that he was kind of the, the sort of weakling who didn't want to fight for his place in the squad. This is kind of the same sort of stuff that Mourinho was saying about Romelu Lukaku. Uh, around the time that Lukaku eventually left. I mean, has De Bruyne ever sh- uh, showed this side of his character to anyone other than Jose Mourinho? I mean, is he a problem child? Uh, did Wolfsburg know that if they ever left him out or tried to substitute him, uh, that he'd throw his toys out of the pram? Um, or is it only Jose Mourinho who's seen this side of him? I think it's only uh, at Chelsea and uh, under Mourinho that this has been a problem because before that, uh, on loan to Werder Bremen, it was the same. He was a superstar of the team. He was an automatic starter. Um, everybody in the wanted to sign him, including Jurgen Klopp, uh, Leverkusen, um, Bayern were interested to get him next year. Nobody thinks he's he's a player who's got problems with attitude. I think the problem surely um, just arises from the fact that he wasn't a starter and he wasn't the sort of player who was going to put up with that. Um, you could say that's selfish, that's unprofessional. But in the end, you know, you look at where he is now and where he's gone in those two years, I think those decisions were, were, were justified. It's out, perhaps um, compared to, to an employee who just sees he's not really getting ahead uh, clearly enough and uh, quickly enough in the job he's in and says, you know what, i got to go somewhere else. And then, uh, of course, the boss will say, oh, well, it didn't work out with him. But I don't think that necessarily suggested his attitude is bad. I think actually his decision-making has been pretty spot-on right now. Raphael, the other news in Germany is that Bayer Leverkusen are into the Champions League after beating Lazio in a big win, a good win for them. But they are going to lose, it looks like, their South Korean star, Sun Hyung min to Tottenham for, I think, €30 million Euro as a price tag. Being uh, being bandied about here is it starting to get frustrating for uh, all the clubs that aren't aren't Bayern Munich that their top guys are being stripped away by the super rich English clubs? Um, I mean, yes and no. I think uh, with Son, they'd be quite happy to sell him. He wasn't really playing very well recently. Um, Thirty million euros is is a lot of money for somebody who hasn't quite uh, been the star they expected him to be. He's very commercially viable. There's about 300 South Koreans that turn up at every Leverkusen game. Uh, the sponsor is Korean as well. You know, they might not stick around when, he, when he's gone, the shirt sponsor. So um, it has knock-on effects. But they've got players like Julian Brandt. They've got other players like Karim Bellarabi. And I think they'll be okay. The bigger picture is, and that's something that Rudy Fuller has talked about yesterday straight after the game, is that the pressure from England will become only stronger next season. So every club, and even Bayern, will feel that they either have, have to up their wages constantly or um, just get used to the idea that one or two players will go. I think that the, the good thing or the only thing that will help them is that if you are at Leverkusen, if you are at uh, Dortmund, at Bayern, I still think you're going to think very, very hard before you go to Spurs, before you go to Stoke, before you go to, uh, I don't know, pick a, pick a team. Uh, below the top four or five because effectively you know that you're not going to play being playing for anything meaningful apart from the the FA Cup perhaps so that will help the league 
hold on to their better players, but the pressure, uh, the inflationary pressure on wages and transfer fee will, of course, only increase. Um, Roger Smith, the coach of uh, Leverkusen, is, uh, you know, a big, a, regarded, I think, as a bit of a star in Germany, um, one of this new breed of German coaches. You mentioned, you, you had a line in your column uh, on Monday, Raphael, uh, talking about this new breed, and, and it had an interesting uh, phrase, uh, <laughs> we're constantly having to learn uh, the language of football is constantly being updated and you mentioned in this that the new breed of German uh, coaches focus on playing against the ball, quote against the ball now that sounds almost like something it sounds like the kind of thing Brendan Rodgers might say uh, <laughs> but I wondered exactly what, what do we mean when we speak of playing against the ball um, well this is really um a phrase that has found its way into German vocabulary through Jurgen Klopp, um, who is a little bit in the mold of, of Ralf Rangnick. Uh, Ralf Rangnick is the guy who uh, has really been the uh, the mentor for coaches like Schmidt, for coaches like uh, Zorniger and Tuchel, and most importantly. And it really is a belief that the ball, wherever it is over the, wherever it might be on the pitch, has to be hunted down. So, in other words your game is not really looking at the formation of the opposition. Your game is not really looking at keeping a balance on the pitch, you know, having nice rolls of fours, but you have to win the ball back as quickly as possible, wherever it might be. Um, so your game becomes almost exclusively focused uh, on the ball and against the ball means that when your position have it, you attack it by all means necessary. It's a very risky, very difficult and very high intensity way of playing football but it's one that's become increasingly the orthodoxy uh, it's only really a Guardiola and now Tuchel who's changing a little bit who believe that playing with the ball is still um, something that's slightly more profitable but that, that is certainly the new way uh, that's as I said become the orthodoxy in, in, the, in the league and even small teams who you know you'd expect to just park all men behind the, the ball and just wait and absorb pressure. They try to go out and, and pressure all over the pitch and that's how the Bundesliga has really become a very different kind of ball game over the last few years. They're coming up against each other, I think, this weekend. <clears throat> that is to say, uh, Leverkusen and Bayern. Um, I, I wonder if, if maybe this is the best time of the season for one of these against-the-ball teams to really be, to be playing. It, it strikes me the big problem with this style is that oftentimes by March, April, May, your players are exhausted from chasing the ball for several months and uh, and fall away at just the wrong point of the season. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I think you still have to show that you can sustain it. Uh, Borussia Dortmund in the past, even under the, in their best years under Klopp, kind of had to pick the competition that we were doing very well in the league, but quite poorly in, in uh, European competition or the other way around. And even Leverkusen have had their ups and downs. Um, I think they, they do look very fresh. They completely overpowered Lazio. Uh, last night um, but of course uh, the, the better the other team are on the ball the more difficult it is and the more high risk it will be to, to play that kind of style so it would be really I think very very interesting to see what Leverkusen can do you'd make Bayern at home with the way that they've been playing still favourites especially after what was a very high intensity very um, powerful game from Leverkusen on Tuesday, on Wednesday night uh, but I think you're right I think this is the kind of team Leverkusen who need to bring all their physical energy onto the pitch and 
you'd rather do that now in August than, than see them again in, in April, May. But the winter break helps in that respect. German teams have looked pretty good over the last few years. And I, I've got great hopes, I must say, for Leverkusen to also go a little bit further, further as they did last year when they were knocked out, of course, by Atletico in the, uh, the last 16 on penalties. Raphael Honigstein, thank you very much. Pleasure. You're happy enough with that definition, kind of against the ball? Would you be an against the ball man or with the ball man? Well, I, I think... I think it's actually an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I compared it to Brendan Rodgers there, not just as a cheap jibe at Brendan Rodgers, but because it's like a jargon phrase, which the mm. meaning of which is not immediately apparent from the words. Such as, for instance, when Brendan Rodgers said before the Arsenal game on Monday, dominate the space. Like, what do you, what do you mean, dominate the space? You mean, like, put like stick your bellies out as far as they go and take up more room? Is that what, you, is that, what that means? Breathe in, stick your belly out. Is that what you mean? Because I mean that could be one possible interpretation, but I, I mean that wasn't it. You know, dominates the space. What, what does it mean? It's a it's a jargon phrase. It packs meaning. It's meant to have meaning to specialists in the field. You know, when when you've got a field which is highly specialized, jargon arises because people are expressing complex concepts. They can't spell everything out in plain English. Owned. They need to pack it into uh, jargon code words. You know, doctors speak to each other in jargon. Lawyers and football men like uh, Brendan Rodgers. Roger Schmidt and uh, and others like them. Um, it did strike me when when uh, Raphael was talking about that it sounds a little bit like the kind of football that happens in a schoolyard <laughs> with everyone following the ball. But I suppose it's a bit more structured than that in terms of they don't all go for the ball. Some of them go for the ball and the others support the ones who are going for the ball as opposed to everybody just converging, you know, in a, in a pack. We've been talking about Everton today and the challenges faced by their board. Bill Kenwright's increasing unpopularity, which surprises me somewhat. I suppose if you're there for a long time, you don't spend loads of money, you're not going to be seen as very popular, even though even if you're doing everything else correctly and keeping your club in the league and oftentimes in a decent place in the league. But as if to prove Simon's point, Ken, that they are a properly run football club, you had an interesting experience there a couple of years back. Well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's that interesting. I mean, I just, uh, I, I was next to Bill Cameron at the urinal. What of it, you know? Just in a normal urinal, in a normal stand? Oh yeah, you just you uh, weren't just up the, there in the, in the with the top brass. No, just for the plebs. Well, I mean, I was I, I was in the press box, I suppose. I mean, maybe it is a special mm-hmm. toilet, but if so, you share it with the with the chairman. So I became aware that Bill Kenwright was next to me, and you know, we stood there. Any conversation? Uh no, no. I mean, would you have had a conversation? We with? just picked it. We just drew a bead on the wall and stared at it. You know, uh, I didn't inspect his wares, if that's what you <laughs> What kind of urinal are we talking about here? Was it uh, one of the steel ones? Or two was porcelain. Just... Two oh. porcelain. porcelain. Well, then, so you had your own space. Hold on a second here now. Hold on a second here. You're trying to convince us that this is some sort of plebeian meeting between you and man of the people, Bill Kenwright. Oh, well, you're saying it had to be like an aluminium trough. Well, at an old-fashioned football ground. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm so, saying. Yeah. Fax machines, communal urinals. Yeah. None of this uh, separation, none of this personal space. Well, you know been... in Crow Park, right? Yeah. And that's not... And particularly old stadium, lads will actually start. They will start urinating kind of in between the legs of the two people actually standing to get the urinal. Ah uh, no, no they won't. Ah uh, no, it Come just on. depends on how, on how much. Um, well, I mean, it's a pretty packed situation. I mean, if you're looking at one one urinal, like a, a single person urinal, like three or four of those, I mean, you can pack in. About 15 or 16 this in is a trough true. of this similar the, length. This is the problem I have with the new Lansdowne Road since it became the Aviva Stadium. If you, 
you leave at half time, you might not be getting back for the start of the second half. Really? Because there's always long queues in, in and out and everyone taking their turn rather than the... And there's just not enough room in the primal, concourse. Yeah. Because the, the, the queue for the, for the bathroom goes all the way out across... Like, they can't contain it in the actual bathroom. It cuts all the way across the concourse. So you actually can't move anywhere. You can't go anywhere yeah. because of the queues. I actually can't remember whether they have the trough system in place in the, in the Viva. I no, they don't have the trough system. No, no, no. They have certainly the toilets that I've gone to, Murph. Maybe I'm going to the the, the posh ones. I don't know. Mm. But they seem to be separated along the oh, lines they, of they, the they have it. That def- is ridiculous. That's I'm one of the sure stupidest things I've ever heard. I think you must be going to the posh ones, Owen. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it's time that you got down out of the corporate boxes and started hanging out with the real fans. No, because the real fans at the Aviva and the journalists have a trough. Well, that's good. Like, I'm in favour of troughs. What you what you want, you don't need all the bells and whistles, Ken. No. You just want to get in, get out. Yeah. And that's, that's what you wanted. That's, and, and there's nothing more to it than that. That's what we did at Goodison, me and Bill. I would have said he looked wistful. <laughs> uh, but at the time it was. That's often the, uh, the look of someone when urinating, though. We'll have another you know, show. I mean, what, else, what other facial expression is there? Really? Simon you, do, is... you do drift a little, don't you, mentally, yeah. you know. A la recherche de temps perdu. Simon, Simon, Simon is giving me a look along the lines of Ryan Giggs's to Louis van Gaal last night. I think he's telling us that we have to cut this program right now. We do have another podcast coming out a little bit later on. It'll feature uh, look ahead to Dublin against Mayo. I can't wait for this game. All Ireland semi final on Sunday. What else are we going to be talking about? The oh yeah, we're going to chat about Billy Walsh and his it seems impending move to American boxing. This is a big disaster that's befallen Irish sport in a long time in terms of our Olympic medal. Just losing one of the, if not the greatest coach in Irish sport of the last decade. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. That's all coming up a little bit later on. Thanks very much for listening to the football podcast. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Kenny. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks a million. We'll talk to you soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.